Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm KCBS reporter Jenna Lane, and Cal Fire Chief Ken Pimlot is our guest on In-Depth this week. He's taking some time out from a busy fire season. Thank you for that, even though we know that fire season is actually year-round now in California. So uh, welcome to KCBS. Thank you. Uh, you have been in, I uh, believe your insight is coming from about three decades in the fire service. Is that right? That's right. 30 years with Cal Fire. You started out as a seasonal firefighter in 1987. And I'm wondering what's changed since 1987. What were your first fire seasons like compared to maybe you're not out there digging quite as many <laughs> lines <laughs> as you were in 1987. But what's what's the most different in, in the time that you've served? You know, a number of things have changed. The, the basics of firefighting have not changed. The, the, the How you put fires out, and but the conditions have changed. The equipment that we use uh, have changed. The, the risks to firefighters have really uh, increased. I mean, we weren't, in, even 30 years ago, we weren't talking about necessarily job-related cancer and uh, heart disease uh, to the extent that we are now, uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, health and wellness. These are all things that uh, we have learned over time are real real impacts to firefighters. And they may not occur overnight, uh, but they accumulate over years. And we're really seeing the effects of that. And now when you have a fire season, it really is year-round. And you have a year like 2018, which we're still in p- the peak of fire season all over California. Firefighters really haven't had that break. We had we were deployed weeks and weeks straight throughout uh, most of the summer, and that is uh, puts fatigue on firefighters, and that takes its toll. So I, I think it's we all we had big fires. We had sieges back in the '60s and '70s and the '80s in California, but not to the duration that we're having now. Not to the intensity. Our weather patterns are different. Our red flag warnings. These uh, fire weather conditions are lasting longer. The recent anniversary of the North Bay firestorm raised a number of the same issues that you've just brought up and some others that I wanted to explore. Funding and investigation. First of all, do you have the funding you need to do the investigations you need to do? The support for our fire prevention and law enforcement program is absolutely there. We have the the resources to get that done. You know, understanding that in the North Bay fires, uh, we had a, we had over 30 fires we were investigating as part of this uh, complex of fires, if you will. And it wasn't just in the, the North Bay. We had fires in Butte County in Nevada, uh, and Yuba uh, counties, uh, all the way up into Mendocino. So we had to you know, break these investigators up into teams, and we literally had over 30 investigators engaged doing that. Uh, they're complex investigations. Um, fires burn the evidence. They burn the, the patterns that indicate how these, where and how these fires uh, have spread. And so it takes time, and it takes... Uh, painstaking uh, work, and it's really a process of eliminating what didn't start the fire so you can narrow these causes down. And sometimes it involves special testing uh, of equipment or, you know, of, of um, evidence from the scene, if you will. Uh, and, and there's a lot riding on these investigations. These are important. People's lives were lost, and there's 
over $12 billion in damage resulted from uh, these fires. And so it's important that we get it right. I know you can't yet tell us the cause of the Tubbs fire. That was certainly one of the more remarkably deadly and destructive. But can you talk generally about what is at stake in such an investigation? And, and is there so much at stake that is there a relationship, I guess, between how long it takes <laughs> to investigate it and, and, and how much is at stake? Very good question. I, you know, as we've been, we've been releasing the causes of these fires sort of on a flow basis as we've been completing them. We didn't want to hold everything and, and do something all at once. Uh, and yes, a lot of it has to do with the complexity of the, of the fire. And uh, again, weather patterns change the direction the fire burns. All that has to be traced back to identifying a point of origin uh, and then looking in that area for what may be the, may be the cause. In some cases, it's, it, you can't determine a cause because the, it's just, uh, you know, these are fire scenes, right? They're burning uh, haphazardly. Uh, I think we look at every fire uh, as important, it, whether it's a small fire that burned a few acres uh, or a fire like the Tubbs fire that burned you know, thousands of acres and took so many structures and lives. Uh, they're all important uh, because uh, the losses that are involved are, are, are the same no matter what scale you're at. But it's also important to determine cause so we can help prevent fires uh, into the future. If we identify you know, certain causes, then we can work to prevent that down the road. And uh, then the investigations themselves uh, are used by others, district attorneys and insurance companies and other entities to, to look at their own, for their own needs, i.e., in the case of the district attorneys, you know, they're looking at all of these fires to, you know, look at other liabilities. And uh, so it's, um, it, the more, the larger the fire, the more that was burned, the more challenging the or complex the investigation is, they're just going to take longer. And certainly with the Tubbs fire, that, you know, that's the case. This was, we, we have to really leave no stone unturned to make sure we have all the facts going into this investigation. Because of that complexity and kind of intensity and size of the fires in the last year or so, we, we heard from State Senator Mike McGuire, among several other people, about more funding for fire prevention. And he was talking about things like forest management, brush clearing, but also prescribed burning and more money for evacuation planning. What of those areas, if any, would you consider underfunded right now? Or when you look at sort of the CAL FIRE budget, what concerns you the most when you think about the state's needs? When you all the uh, items you just identified are all of the areas that came out of the really the post incident reviews from the fall fire siege in the North Bay. And oh, those were all areas that we as a state uh, recognized we could have more investment in. The legislature, Senator McGuire, uh, Senators Dodd, they were leading the way in those discussions along with Governor Brown, uh, Cal Fire, and many others. So as a result, a lot of work occurred in the legislature uh, this year and with the administration to, to really raise all of the boats uh, with this tide in all of these areas. And th just just this past uh, summer, when the uh, legislature uh, recessed and, and the governor ultimately signed the budget, we have just landmark legislation, some of it dealing with early, early warning uh, and, you know, reverse, you know, sort of the term reverse 911, but providing, you know, better opportunities for notification. Uh, almost a billion dollars in cap and trade funding over the next five years that will focus on forest health and fire prevention uh, activities. This is almost $200 million a year 
that CAL FIRE will be putting out, primarily as grants to fire districts, to fire safe councils, uh, many others, to get real work done on the ground, to get after this forest health uh, and fire prevention work that Senator McGuire uh, was referring to. We have never had the opportunity to have this level of sustained funding to invest uh, on the ground. Uh, CAL FIRE is looking at uh, and continues to work on ramping up our uh, use of prescribed fire. That's using fire when it's safe to do so to reduce that the volume of fuel, the hazardous components of, of the fuel loading so that when fires do burn through areas, that will burn at lower intensity because the fuel loading is, is smaller. Um, it's, we've been working through this legislation that's passed to help us with some of the liability associated with that to make it uh, not absolving liability, but make it easier for partners to engage with CAL FIRE uh, so that we can get more of this work done. Training. We are certifying now or will be certifying training for prescribed burners. CAL FIRE has always been able to do that along with our federal partners, local government, but this will also bring in many of the other professionals that you know may not be with government, but that are professionals in this. We're going to make that consistent under the state fire marshals training program. And so all of this is geared towards absolutely ramping up the pace and scale. On average right now, we're treating about 250,000 acres a year in our wildlands. And that's not only prescribed fire and brush clearance, but it's also reforesting after these devastating fires. We're going to be increasing that to a minimum of 500,000 acres a year across California. And then down the road, we'd like to even uh, do more. When, by when, will you be increasing? You mentioned that 250,000 acres to half a million. Well, we're starting now. Obviously, we're increasing the pace and scale. CAL FIRE, uh, you know, I've been providing very clear direction to all of our units around the state to increase the amount of prescribed fire and fuel treatment we're doing. And the idea being is that over the next several years, uh, we would like to get to that 500,000. Again, a lot, a lot will depend on weather conditions and availability of other resources. And it's just, it's a very dynamic, you know, situation as you have a year-round fire season and many of the resources that are used to do the prevention work are also having to support, you know, response to some of these fires. But we're finding new innovative ways to get this work done. We have the ability now, we're putting together uh, six hand crews that will just do fuels management and prescribe fire. And so it's really increasing the, the capacity to get more of this done. You mentioned prescribed burning when it's safe to do so. But if fire season is year round, when can it ever be safe to do so? How do you judge that? It's a, it's a balance. And uh, oftentimes what we'll see is, for example, it, right now in, in Humboldt County or the northern part of the state, there are perfect fall weather windows. We may still be in fire season, but the weather conditions during a period of time will be very conducive uh, within a prescription with weather, you know, including humidity, winds, all of that, that are perfect for a, a, a burn. Other parts of the state may be out of that prescription. And so what we're doing is managing that. If we're not in a, a period of high fire activity, we have the resources, it's safe to do so, we're going to engage and, and start getting that work done. If fire conditions increase, then we can stop. We'll redeploy resources to the firefight. But if we don't take targets of opportunity, uh, we won't get this done. And you'll have to staff up, right? Absolutely. And so several things that we have done just in the last few years is increasing our ability for year-round staffing. You know, historically, wildland firefighting agencies, including CAL FIRE, were, were seasonal. And uh, that worked, you know, decades ago, but it doesn't work now where we have uh, potential for fires all year. We've had fires in Humboldt County, over 350-acre fires uh, in January in the last few years. And so we now staff a component of our engines uh, year-round around the state. So we have the ability to respond. Uh, but at the same time, when they're not responding to fires, they have the ability to do fuels work and, and prescribe burning. So it's not that they're just sitting around waiting for a fire. They are actively engaged in our mission getting this work done.
a significant, and you'll have to tell me what percentage it is, of firefighters are incarcerated. What share of the firefighting force might come from? I can give you the, the number. We have, the number varies because the uh, number of inmates has reduced a bit because of realignment, understandably. But right now we have approximately 3,000 inmate firefighters. Uh, we've been able to bolster that uh, with our relationship with the California Conservation Corps, where we've had, uh, you know, reductions in inmate uh, crews. We've been able to uh, work with the, the California Conservation Corps to staff up additional crews. So it's really our hand crew model is changing a bit. It certainly includes a strong component of, of the inmate firefighting, which will always be a model program with the Department of Corrections. But we also are really looking towards this relationship with the Conservation Corps. We have heard many activists call for those firefighters to earn as much as any other. And I wondered if you'd like to weigh in on whether that's fair or appropriate or, or even up to CAL FIRE. Well, you know, having worked in that program uh, at several of our conservation camps, uh, it, it's really the opportunities that they get. It, the working conditions are just like, I mean, they're firefighters and those are the working conditions, but they're, they're getting time off of their sentence. They have an opportunity to earn some money while they're out on the fire line. Um, they're getting a skill set. The investment that not only the Department of Corrections staff, but the CAL FIRE staff make in these individuals, uh, those that show promise, are, there's an opportunity in there. They grow. And so it's, they're getting more than just uh, monetary compensation here. What they're really getting is an opportunity to rehabilitate. And uh, so the investment in them uh, really is a lot more than just about being the compensation. We are speaking with CAL FIRE Chief Ken Pimlott about his department and about California wildfires. President Trump says that California ought to get its act together when it comes to forest management. Let's hear that clip from the 17th of October. California is a mess. We're giving billions and billions of dollars for forest fires in California. There's no reason for those fire fires to be like they are. They're leaving them dirty. They're, it's a disgraceful thing. Old trees are sitting there rotting and dry. And instead of cleaning it up, they don't touch them. They leave them. And we end up with these massive fires that we're paying hundreds of billions of dollars for to fix. And the destruction is incredible. So I think California ought to get their act together and clean up their forests and manage their forests because it's disgraceful. What's happening should never happen. I go all over the country and I meet with governors. The first thing they say is there's no reason for forest fires like that in California. So I say to the governor or whoever's going to be the governor of California, you better get your act together because California, we're just not going to continue to pay the kind of money that we're paying because of fire, fires that should never be to the extent. They were telling me in a couple of states, I won't even mention their name, it's like a flash. Some grass will burn. It'll be over in minutes. They'll lose two acres, three acres. At the most, they won't even lose that. And here we are with thousands of acres and billions and billions of dollars. Every year, it's the same thing, every year. And they don't want to clean up their forests because they have environmental problems in cleaning it up. It should be the opposite, because you're going to lose your forests. You'll lose it. But it's costing our country hundreds of billions of dollars because of incompetence in California. So the people — I'm speaking now for the people of California. They don't want to see this happen. They're getting destroyed. And it's hurting our budgets. It's hurting our country. And they just better get their act together. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So that raises two questions. How many dollars has California received from the federal government for forest fires? 
And what stands in the way of better forest management? So California, like any other state, has opportunities through to be reimbursed through the uh, FEMA and the Fire Management Assistance Grants up to 75%. But California f- fully funds its response to wildland fires. Uh, so we take responsibility uh, as a state um, regardless of federal funding. Uh, in California, over half of the forest lands in our state are owned by the federal government, the national forests, national parks. The federal government's own analysis, the forest inventory analysis that they conduct, which we all use, indicates that actually the federal land is more overstocked and less managed than the private and state lands uh, within the state. There's active work going on on private timber lands. Uh, Agreed, more can be done. Those are the things we got really ramping up. But really, the federal lands create just as much, if not more, of of a problem. So The federal government needs to continue and increase its investment on its own lands. And so the insinuation of reducing funding to California uh, really only impacts, uh, well, it impacts across the board, but certainly impacts the federal government's ability to to manage its own lands. When you don't manage those lands, those fires that start on federal land burn into communities. In California, you know, what the comments that were made, they're not the truth. They're, they're, uh, really ill-informed. At the end of the day, California has made significant, a billion dollars over the next five years, significant investments. We are working uh, with partners and we do it together, federal, state, local. We have a forest management task force that Governor Brown uh, has organized this last year. That follows on the tree mortality task force that uh, he started several years before that. It's all partners. We are all working together because fires don't know they will cross uh, you know, jurisdictional boundaries, federal, state, local, as well as the forest health issues. We've got over 129 million uh, trees in the central and southern Sierra that have succumbed to uh, this epidemic outbreak of bark beetle. Almost two-thirds of those trees are on federal land. So the investments that the, f- the money's coming to California need to really point out that it's to invest in the federal responsibility. State is absolutely working forward with many partners to engage on private land. And in many aspects, some of that money that the state's investing is also carrying across and being used to work on federal land on adjacent projects. I wonder if some of the billions to which he was referring have to do with relief post-wildfire. Funding is a responsibility at all levels. And California absolutely relies on on federal funding to work on disaster relief. Again, $12 billion in damages during the North Bay fires. Uh, the car fire in Redding, millions and millions of dollars in damages. It's a partnership. I, and, and I think it re- obviously everyone needs to have some skin in the game. California, both the state and the local level, have had significant skin in the game, have been leading the efforts, not just in the response to these wildfires, but the recovery. The state hasn't wavered. The state continues to be engaged all the way through the debris removal and now in helping in the continued recovery efforts. This, we will not be going away until the job is done. Now, speaking of another executive, Governor Jerry Brown is on his way out of office. He appointed you in 2011. And no matter who replaces him, the next governor of California will have significantly less experience than Jerry Brown. I wondered what you think the next governor of California needs to know. Certainly, uh, natural disasters will make or break, you know, an administration. These are the core responsibilities of government. And California, we are facing, just like many of our Western states partners, 
every year seems to be unprecedented conditions. Climate change is real. We are seeing mean temperatures increase over time. The vegetation is changing. The weather patterns that you would historically think would be Southern California with these dry north winds, they're now occurring regularly in the fall months in Northern California. Uh, this isn't going to change anytime soon. We are going to continue to see these conditions. And the real difference between Northern and Southern California is we've got much more vegetation here in the north half of the state. So we're going to continue to see large, devastating fires. So much work has gone in to one, learning and preparing how to respond uh, to these larger fires and really the work we've been doing in the last several years to build the capacity to do that year round. And not just CAL FIRE, but all of us, local government, the Office of Emergency Services, all of our partners, everyone at state government, because when a disaster like this happens, the Department of Health Services, the Department of Motor Vehicles, the Caltrans, everyone is rolling up their sleeves to deal with either it's their response and or recovery piece. So that whole team that works, that has to bridge any change in administration. And so the new administration will be looking at the, the success of how this has been working. At the same time, groundbreaking work in legislation and in funding to invest in fire prevention and forest health. The state has never seen this level of commitment to this activity and the coordination that's going on. The stakeholders that are engaged in this forest management uh, and fire discussion is, is really unprecedented uh, in California. All levels of government, non-governmental organizations, the environmental community, all together. We may not always agree on everything, but there, the cross-section of this group does agree on the foundation of what the challenges are, and we're working diligently, moving initiatives forward to get real work done on the ground. And uh, we can't lose that momentum. The new next group coming in really needs to take that ball and just continue to run with it. Do CAL FIRE chiefs serve at the pleasure of the governor, or how does that work? Uh, yes, CAL FIRE uh, director. I'm appointed by the governor. So just like any you know, governor's appointment, uh, you know, those are all things that get looked at, uh, you know, going forward. The coordination that has gone on, particularly with the public safety leadership, the governor's office of emergency services, the National Guard, the California Highway Patrol and CAL FIRE, those four agencies have really led the way together. This has been a shoulder to shoulder team approach to response. And it, if it's a wildfire, Sure, CAL FIRE and all, you know, the, over a thousand local government fire departments around California are working seamlessly together for that response. But that also requires all kinds of support from the California Highway Patrol as we, you know, these things transgress highways and evacuations. And the National Guard has been invaluable for bringing all kinds of resources, the aircraft, uh, the military police companies, the logistical support. Uh, and situational awareness tools. And the Office of Emergency Services, you know, coordinating, there are access to all of these local government fire departments. And on the recovery piece, they're, 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 we could spend a day just talking about what they do as it relates to, uh, you know, helping communities recover. It's a team, and we've done it, we've proven this model that has been identified time and time again by the legislature, the administration, and others, as to that we, are, we really have the model. That would be the number one, you know, message I have going forward regardless of who are in those leadership positions, have to have the same philosophy of, of a, you know, it's, it's a team sport and we're going to do it together and that's what works. Now, I have failed. <laughs> I, we've been having such an administrative conversation. <laughs> 
that I have not given you the opportunity to tell a war story or two. Uh-oh, I, I mean, uh, over the last 30 years. <laughs> I wow. know, right? So. <laughs> well, how about this? I heard during the car fire something that stuck in my head because I had heard it so much the year before in and around Santa Rosa that we've just never seen fire behave like this, you know, and you'd be at one of those briefings, right, where you and three or four other people with 30 plus years experience each would be going combined. We've never seen anything like this. So I just wondered about your perspective over those decades. I, You know, the the car fire is a perfect example. Uh, There are several. The car fire that was a, a we've talked about it was a tornado. Really, it was. It was an EF3, 143 miles an hour, twisting. The destruction and how quickly that surfaced. You know, we're used to the firefighters out there fighting a wildland fire. And so we're engaged with the mindset of, you know, we're certainly evacuating people from the perspective of getting them out in front of a, a moving, quickly moving, but a moving wildland fire. But when this wind event, this tornado, which was, a, you know, a half mile wide, touched ground, part of it was swirling fire, but part of it was just wind. And so it took roofs off of homes. It uprooted trees. All while firefighters were standing there, one, trying to evacuate people, two, trying to fight a fire. It really threw a, you know, complete new dynamic into this, a new element into this. And, you know, we lost the city of Reading firefighter uh, right there, right in ground zero. Other departments were having to evacuate people while the road was literally being ripped up and pelting their vehicles. I had a chance to look at some of those vehicles and it was just like multiple shotgun blasts and how, you know, those people survived, uh, both firefighters and, 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 and civilians was, uh, was amazing. But those are the kinds of things that we have to be prepared for now. We really have to expect the unexpected. We have to expect weather patterns to be different than what they have been. Fire has burned in that area previous decades, but it had never done what it did there. Uh, in Southern California last year, the Thomas fire, I was standing there with the governor uh, when he was visiting and we were recording relative humidities. We were observing them that were in single digit uh, on the coast. We, we, were, we could look at the ocean uh, standing there in Ventura and we were looking at humidities that were that low. And this went on for about a 13 day period. And so it's understanding these conditions, that these events are going to last longer. It, all these things are they're really wake-up calls uh, for all of us that every year, every so often you think you've seen it all and you've experienced it. You know, I go back to, you know, starting in 1987 and I was in some, you know, 1993. We go back to these fire sieges that we think these have got to be the, you know, this is the worst fire season I'm ever going to experience in my career. And then we keep topping it. And I, I think that's what I keep hearing from all of the firefighters is that how, how can it possibly, you know, get worse than this? And then the next year it does. And so it's, it's really changing how we, we think. And I go talk to the incident commanders. We do a lot of post-incident uh, kind of discussions, either formally or informally, about what we're seeing. And it's just trying to really, number one, how do we sustain this so that we can keep our workforce going year-round at this battle rhythm? And how do we keep our people safe? And uh, how do we then also recognize that, and if this is not in our nature as firefighters, how do we recognize that we... We may not be able to keep every fire as small as we want. And it's very frustrating for our firefighters, and not just Cal Fire, but all the firefighters to have a fire, you know, escape initial attack and burn 100, 200,000 acres. And more importantly, when it starts destroying homes and we lose lives, uh, firefighters take that very, 
personally. And uh, so those are real impacts. And we will be changing. We will be looking at different ways. We've been looking at different situational awareness technologies. We need to do a better job of micro forecasting in our weather so we can have get more data so that we can you know talk about evacuations in a more micro uh, level. We can provide better, more accurate information to firefighters who are working in these conditions. So those are all areas that we really have a lot of space to work in. Our guest this week on KCBS In-Depth has been the chief of California's department Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. I like it better now that you go by Cal Fire. It's much easier. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Ken Pimlott, for joining us this week. You're welcome. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for All News 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.